Welcome to Arise Esther, a podcast for today's Esthers, women who are ready to rise up with courage and faith like Esther of old, who stepped up to lead when life was tough but faith was fierce. Hi, I'm Dawn Scott Damon, your podcast host. I get to talk to some of the most resilient women on the planet, all who faced trials head-on and triumphed. Now we're here to help you do the same. So turn it up, Esther. This is your moment. So some of our greatest Bibles, authors and the theologians who have written footnotes for us, C.I. Schofield says this, the entrance of sin, which is disorder, makes a necessary headship and is vested in man. A woman in the bad ethical sense is always a symbol of that which is out of its place. Hmm. Or what about the Rhymes Douay Bible? He quotes this, the woman taught the man once and ruined all. What about Martin Luther? Great theologian. Men have broad shoulders and narrow hips, and accordingly, they possess intelligence. Women have narrow shoulders and broad hips. Women ought to stay home. The way they were created indicates this, for they have broad hips and a wide fundament to sit upon. The house and bear and raise children is their job. So, With the bias of the day and the prejudice in the culture against women, is it any wonder why interpretations of the Bible sometimes went askew? So let's talk about Paul today. What did Paul really say about women? We know that throughout most of church history, the Apostle Paul has held the reputation of being really what we would consider as a a great Christian male chauvinist, really. But a a careful study of this apostle, he's revealed in a new light. He actually was not a believer of the inferiority of a woman. He did not advocate a secondary role for women in the church. Honest, he didn't. He did not teach some notion of a divine hierarchy of husbands ruling over wives. He really didn't. On the contrary, instead, the apostle Paul consistently championed women. And he championed the principle of gender equality within the church and at home. He carefully avoided those words in the Greek that would connote meanings that ironically our modern English translations actually imply. He carefully selected words in the writing about women and marriage, challenging. He was challenging social roles for women in his age and the philosophy and the theology that defined those roles. He was challenging that. And yet his words have been interpreted so as to defend the very roles in which he tried to challenge. Wow. So welcome to Arise Esther. Here we are doing a three-part series on the biblical scriptures of women in ministry and what does God really say about women in ministry. And in this segment, we do turn our conversation to talk about the role of women in the church today and what Paul said about women. And so before we get into all of that, I would like to introduce or have them introduce my great, wonderful team who's with me today. 
Hey, everybody. How are you? Hi there. Good. Doing great. Good. Dina, tell us a little bit about yourself. Introduce yourself if someone's listening for the first time. Sure. My name's Dina Dyer, and I'm an author and speaker. I have a book about women called Wounded Women of the Bible. And if you can see it, <laughs> I wrote with my lovely friend, Tina Samples. So we studied a lot of women in scripture. I'm working on a follow-up, which is weary women of the Bible. I know a lot of us are weary um, in, in the roles we have and the, all the things we do. And I just I love to study about Jesus and women and, and God's heart for women and to speak about that. I'm also a pastor's wife. My husband and I have been in ministry together for almost all of our married life. We met as missionaries and we've done all sorts of things together and we're co-laborers and he's always respected my, my ministry and supported it. I'm so thankful for that. He leads in worship and I help him at our church in Granbury, Texas. I'm also a mom. I can't leave that out. Yeah. Two young adult sons, almost an empty nest and a rescue pup, Sully, who's like a toddler. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, Thanks, well, Don. welcome. Yes. Hey, Julie, how are you? Tell us a little bit about you. So like Dina, um, I am a speaker and a uh, Bible teacher and an author as well. My book is, um, the, the first book that came out was called Unexpected Love, God's Conversation, God's Heart Revealed in Jesus Conversations with Women. And it was all those, those stories where Jesus talked to a woman and, and interacted and um, meant to show what of course, he was God in the flesh, so meant to show his heart toward them. Um, I am uh, a seminary graduate um, from Capital Bible Seminary. I have a degree, a master's degree in um, uh, biblical studies. Um, I did that after a 20-year elementary school teaching career, and um, and so now I've been writing and speaking ever since. I'm a member of four, there's a four-team member um, a group in our church, New Hope Chapel in Arnold, Maryland. And uh, I am one of the four uh, team teachers that uh, give sermons regularly on Sunday morning. So I'm, I am in ministry and I am speaking in front of a mixed audience. So not something I actually sought after, but what happened was as I, as, as they asked me, the elders asked me to do this thing, I decided I had to go back and look at all of those scriptures that dealt with, uh, you know, women should not be teaching uh, men or um, women need to be silent in the church and, and all of those things. Um, and so I, what I did was I started really researching them and studying them. And so the, the book that's coming out in the near future called On Purpose, uh, it's, it's understanding God's freedom for women. And each chapter is a study on one of those passages. And I go pretty deep into it, do a lot of analytic work, um, use all the tools I learned in seminary for good interpretation and, and, uh, and expositional teaching. And um, it's written for the common person. You don't have to be a seminary graduate to, to read, but I, I just was, I'm really excited about this book. It's coming out with Kriegel on 2-22-22. So it's easy to remember. It'll be Beautiful. up for pre-ordering soon. Beautiful. So. I had the opportunity to uh, read it for giving an endorsement and it's brilliant. I was, I, I told you, I emailed you. I said, I don't know whether to jump up and down and dance or to scream and cry. And I did a little bit of both because um, it just, whoop, it just reminded me of what I've been through and what a lot of women have been through and some of the, the church wound that you get as a woman in ministry. And well-meaning individuals and then some that aren't so well-meaning 
emails and, and threats and things spoken to me that were so cruel and so hurtful. And then um, just, just that whole thing. So it was just, it's a really, really well done book. And I really want to say that, you know, in a podcast like this, we don't have the ability to go deep. So ultimately, this is just meant to whet your appetite because we want to do a mini summit together where we really will take a deeper dive and do um, a treatise on each one of these scriptures and really an apologetic on what was being said. And, you know, at first when I also was interpreting scriptures as a, as a pastor in ministry, at first I didn't want to go into it. It was enough for me to know that God had called me and that the denomination that I was ordained with released me and believed wholeheartedly in the giftedness and the release of women in ministry in all areas, leadership, teaching, training. But I also then knew eventually that I had to do that work because I needed to be able to speak to it intelligently. When our bylaws came up at the general council to be re-evaluated because we had male pronouns throughout and because of the use of male pronouns in our bylaws, it was restricting women. And so it was a big brouhaha and a big to do and a big deal to change the pronouns to gender neutral. And the argument on the floor and, and the, the anger and the, the criticism and them saying, well, if you change that, then a woman is going to be able to be a deacon or a pastor, or an elder. This isn't women's aglow, one gentleman said. And so then I, you know, you just absorb, absorb, absorb. So Julie, you said something in your introduction. Let's talk about this. You said that you had to go back and you had to see, you had to check about the interpretation. Can you talk to us just a little bit about what is a healthy way to interpret scripture because mm -hmm. that's where we want to start in, in i would say that the number one thing that cannot be compromised is that we cannot take verses out of context what and does that so mean? uh well you can't pull a verse out and ignore what went on before and after it and make because you can make the bible say anything you want when you do that and we never want to put words in God's mouth. We always want to give his intention in a passage of scripture. And one very easy way to do that is to look at what came before and what came after. And as, as, a, as that verse or that passage, part of a whole, because if we start pulling things out and grouping them together, we can be saying something that God never said. And so that, that to me is the number one thing. When I teach Bible studies, always, always context is our main thing. How does this fit into the whole? Why is this here? What went on before? What went on after? And I think if you take any of the verses that I'm sure many women can quote by heart because they've heard them so much, you know, I suffer not a woman to teach, usurping authority over men in 1 Timothy 2. But if you put that in the context of what was going on in the Ephes church of Ephesus where Timothy was laboring, you can see it's not that at all. It's, it's, it, so I heard one uh, prominent um, theologian say, I, I prefer a plain reading of scripture. You know, in other words, you, you can't read too much into things. You have to take them as they look. But it, that's not fair if you're taking them out of context. 
Right. Because then you can make it say, you know, if, if you will bow down and worship me, all these worlds will be yours. You know, you, you take that verse out of context and you forget that Satan said it to Jesus when he was tempting him. You could make mm. it uh, make some promises that God never made for the Christian. And so it's the same with the, these passages on women. You just can't you have to look at context first. Yes, that's really important. So you can't just lift this one and this one and this one and thread them together and create this theology that is used. None of those verses were meant to mean on their own, but you stick them together and all of a sudden you have this doctrine. You have this doctrine. And I think, like we said last time, people are more committed to tradition sometimes than they are an honest look at what scripture was really saying. So when we look at scripture, there's a framework, you keep it in context. And then you said context is and maybe I'm adding a few words, but context is, is this a letter? Is this a command? Is this written to all people for all time in all con, all cultures and all for, or was it specific? Was it occasional? Was it meant to solve a problem? And then we look at the style of Paul and how he wrote. And very often he would reflect a problem, state the problem that he was addressing in his letter and the original reader knew what it meant. They knew what he was saying. And then he was answering problems. He wasn't giving doctrine and theology. So we'll look at that. But but I want to ask as we um as we start this look, this just kind of a brief overview of the life of Paul in terms of how he wrote about women, would it be true to say that his basic heart about women would be revealed in the scripture in Galatians 3, 28, where he says, there is neither now, no Jew, no Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's no male or female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Paul hated division. And all of those things were dividing things. Well, and he created division for so long and he, you know, in his history, he was outside of Christ for so long and he persecuted and killed Christians. And so he had a passion for the message and he was a missionary and he had co-laborers that were female. And you see in that in different places in the, in the letters, you know, and so I also think we have to be sure that we look at scripture as an entire volume. And we have to make sure that we're not picking a verse, as Julie said, or picking a one letter and not comparing to what the whole of scripture says. I love my pastor, um, Mark Forrest. He, he talks about this all the time, that we have to look at the totality of the word and what it says and who God is throughout, who the Holy Spirit and Jesus are throughout. Yes. And I think that um, I want to be very careful when when I navigate this next comment, because we believe that all scripture is God breathed, you know, second yes. um, Timothy 316 is that all, all scripture is God breathed and useful and we believe in the sacred scripture, however, interpretations and different uses of one little word or this 
is it not true that the interpretation that we hold, as I read at the top of the hour, the way that we interpreted some of these scriptures came through the bias of the day, that it that there wasn't gender mutuality, that there is hierarchy, and that that when some people were interpreting the scripture, they could only see it through that lens. And so there's been some misunderstanding about human tradition. God's word is absolutely flawless, but our interpretations haven't always been correct. Yes. I mean, yeah. that's, that's part of the context as you're, as you're talking about, we have to look at the historical context, what was going on at the time when those words were written, because it's important because it's assumptions that readers would have that we might not carry now today. So what I always do when I'm looking at a passage is I say, okay, this is what he was saying to, and you know, like in Second Tim or First Timothy, um, people in a church or, or Timothy who was working in the church uh, for two thousand years ago. So you can't you you have to take into consideration what they would have believed at the time, what, what they were facing in terms of their situation, how the church was operating, those kinds of things. And some of the stuff we can get from Bible, some of the stuff we can get from extra biblical sources, uh, history keepers, and that kind of thing. But we take all of that and we say, okay, with that in line, in consideration, how what principle is there that we can lift out of that passage? and bring over the 20th century and drop it down. What's the principle that Paul is teaching? So we don't have to get super specific about that. We're really looking for the idea that he's teaching to people that lived in the first century AD. And then once you get that idea, you can lift it and bring it over the 20th century, 21st century, and then you can start finding applications that would work for today that still obey, obey that principle. I hope that makes yeah. sense. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's, that's great. Yes. So can we talk about some of these? Let's just look at the first Timothy two scripture. Mm -hmm. And uh, Julie, you've just written a book on this. So I think you're going to be able to speak to it. But um, we read the scripture as women are to be silent. In fact, do you have that scripture? We can just read that. Uh, first, first Timothy two. Yeah. Okay. The silent one is in first Corinthians 14. Yes. First Corinthians just 14. Says, Don't teach. All right. I got to find it. That's okay. I, I know I'm that. kind of being a, get, putting us um, on no, the that's spot. Fine. That's fine. I'm good. All right. Let's see. So right. Paul is writing to Timothy and in the beginning of Timothy, we see that they are struggling with mm -hmm. wives tales and myths and false teachers that are infiltrating. We see that women are kind of getting excited about this newfound freedom. They're able, they were sitting at the feet of Jesus. They've been released in many ways by, by the way, but they're uneducated. They don't know a lot of the truth. Mm -hmm. And so Paul is instructing Timothy on how to handle some situations that are going on. So we see this is a letter yes. written by his mentor. Mm -hmm. These guys are good, close friends. They understand each other. Yes. And he's, Paul is writing to Timothy to solve the problem that mm -hmm. they're experiencing. So we could say this is a letter written to a specific situation on a specific occasion to address a, a, a problem. Right. So what do right. we have? Okay, so I'll start at verse 9 in 1 Timothy chapter 2. 
And he says, likewise, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modestly and discreetly, not braided hair and gold or pearls or costly garments, but rather by means of good works, as it is proper for women making a claim to godliness. And now we start on the controversial part. A woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness, but I do not allow, allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. For it was Adam who was first created and then Eve, and it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression, but women will be preserved through the bearing of children if they continue in faith and love and sanctity with self-restraint. So one of the things that's interesting about this, he starts in verse nine with plural women. I want women to blah, blah, blah. And then he gets to verse 11. And then he says, a woman must quietly receive instruction with its submissiveness. I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over man, but to remain quiet. And then he gets to verse 15 and says, but women. So it goes from plural to singular to, to plural again. I believe uh, from my studies that Paul was addressing a very specific problem that was happening. There was a woman teaching, but the problem was not that she was teaching. The problem was what she was teaching. And if you look at those three things and, and, and how do we know what she was teaching? Because after he says he doesn't want her teaching, then he says, um for and then he gives his reason why she shouldn't be teaching um and it, the, he gives three reasons that i just read to you and so i was i looked and looked at these reasons and i thought why why those particular things and you know i i won't go into all the ways that they are interpreted uh many times that really don't um pan out in terms of the rest of scripture but i do want to just show you that um, there's three reasons he says this woman should not be teaching. And the first one he says is it was Adam created first, not Eve. Well, that rang a bell with me because uh, in, I guess you would call it pre-Gnostic tenets, false teaching that was going on in Ephesus at the time of Paul, they really uh, loved the um, Eve as, as someone who was the, she was above creation she was created first and then all mankind including adam came from her and it was all part of their whole thing that they their, their whole theology that they had and paul says no adam was created first not eve because that's what she was teaching that eve was created first and she was the mother of all mankind and it just wasn't true then he says it was not adam who was deceived but the woman now, uh, the Bible says that Adam was there with the woman when she took that first bite. So it's kind of like, why, why is that? Well, the reason is, is because the woman in pre-Gnostic tenets was uh, thought to be um, the, the giver of knowledge and Gnostics loved knowledge. And that was the way to salvation was knowledge. So she was imparting knowledge to Adam by giving him this fruit to eat. And so she was the hero of the story. And Paul says, no. Uh, the woman was deceived. She wasn't some big shot knowledge giver. She was, she was operating on false, false things. And then the third thing, women will be preserved through childbirth. Now that one was really sticky. I had to write a paper on that in seminary and we all struggled with that quite a bit. <laughs> and even as I handed it in, I said to the professor, pretty sure by tomorrow I'm going to be thinking something different. And he laughed because we had to do this position. But the thing is, Gnostics taught that women should not be bearing children. 
that they, each of us have a divine spark in us. And that when we bear children, the spark uh, gets disseminated through the next generation. And, and the only way to salvation to get the world turned the way it should be is for all those sparks to be gathered up um, and, and brought back to the, the, the God, the good God. They had many. And, and that way, um, so women would be, you know, uh, condemned if they were to bear children. And Paul's saying, no, women will be preserved through childhood at childbearing. In other words, it's not going to, it's not going to be damaging for you to have children. So if you look at those three things that they taught and very possibly, and I believe that, that from what I read in this passage, this woman was teaching those things and Paul was giving reasons why she shouldn't be teaching. He wanted her to step down, stop teaching and start listening to truth. It doesn't say permanently. It just says she needs to submit herself to their to the correct teachings before she can go on. So that's what I think is happening in that passage. Isn't that incredible? That's and, interesting. I've never, I didn't know all that about the Gnostics. That yeah. is amazing, Julie. Thank you for that. That is, yes. Thank you for that. Isn't that incredible? And what I was saying earlier is like the translators looking through a lens of bias Yes. could have used that word instead. How would that change scripture? Because I've studied that and see it too, that it's more likely that he's saying, I forbid that woman to teach, mm -hmm. not a woman. So how does that just change the way we look at everything? You know, because that one little word. And so again, looking at the bias, because Paul wouldn't disallow here for all time, all ways, all people, if indeed he's allowing Priscilla and Aquila yes. to be teachers, yes. because those were comrades of his. And you know, mm -hmm. Priscilla, her name shows up more often first, and that designates the leader so I think out of the five times that we see Priscilla and Aquila, four out of those or three out of those, her name is first. Does That's anybody right. do you have some insight on that, Dina? Priscilla and Aquila and the uh, Romans 16, where Paul is acknowledging all of those female leaders. I think it was, um, again, remarkable that the early church had these women leaders, because if you look at the context and the history, which we talked about last episode in this series, women were to be silent. Women were, you know, if they were in the Jewish tradition, they had to learn separately. They had to, um, basically, they didn't go to the rab, rab I can't say it, Don. you're going to have to say it rabbinical. again. Rabbinical school. Um, they didn't go to that school. They um, they didn't have those same privileges. And yet Jesus raised up these women to be his disciples and allowed them. And so when you see now a few years later, after the Holy Spirit in Pentecost came and you see that there's these female leaders in the early church, it's quite remarkable. And it it's really interesting that, you know, we have certain scriptures that we use, I think sometimes like we've talked about to negate other scriptures, instead of looking at it through a whole Bible perspective, I just, I want to reiterate that, that we can't, we can't just look at one verse or one story and, and to come at things with that heart of being 
teachable. And wow, I never knew that. Wow, I never, you know, let's look at different commentaries than we've always looked at. Let's look at different, you know, scholars. Let's study for ourselves um, and not just take someone's word for it. I think God wants us to dig in to these things because he may have gifts in us that we never knew he wanted to use. And that's what he did with Priscilla and Aquila. And then there's Lydia. She was an early church leader. She was, you know, she was an entrepreneur. She was kind of like the Proverbs 31 woman in the New Testament, in just in the New Testament, as opposed to the Proverbs 31 chapter. She, we have it all over the New Testament and especially in the early church. It's pretty, again, I think it would have been scandalous to those outside. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, and going back to what we were just talking about in first Timothy, Julie, you mentioned that that um, it goes from the plural to the singular, back to the plural in the, the word woman, women, and then, but what we miss often is that in verse 11, it says a woman should learn in quietness and submission. We think we jump right there. See quietness and submission that, that we, uh, going back to first Corinthians 14, a woman is to be silent in the church. Well, this is a different word for silence. This word means, um, this, this Greek word for a woman is to learn in quietness means in meditation, come away from the hustle and bustle, quiet yourself down and learn. It doesn't mean that she's not to speak. It means that she's to learn. And we forget that we put the emphasis on she's to be quiet and submissive, but the radical statement of Paul is a woman is to learn. Mm-hmm. And they would read that. You bet. First century Christians reading a woman is to learn. Wait, what? She can? That's the radical statement of Paul. That's the liberating message to women that Paul is giving. And how is she to learn? Just like all first year rabbinical students have to learn in quietness and submission because students of that day, as we mentioned earlier, would sit at the feet of the rabbi or, you know, it was this this didactic or question back and forth. The rabbi would ask a question and then the people, the students would answer it. The students would ask a question and the rabbi, well, first year students were to remain quiet. We read and we, we understand in terms, learn, don't open your mouth and reveal that you know nothing yet. Mm-hmm. You, you learn in quietness and submission And then when you get to a place where you have some knowledge and understanding, you get to enter into these questions back and forth. So this is another thing I discovered when I was studying that that was not uncommon. And they understood that in their culture, we don't today. So we use these scriptures to hammer women over the head and ultimately to, to keep women from using their gifts. Let's switch our conversation just a moment. What about gifts? What about the giftedness of women? One thing that I have always found interesting is that there, there's four lists of the spiritual gifts. And I don't think their spiritual gifts are even limited to those four things because Paul repeats some of them and then adds one here and there that nobody else has and that kind of thing. But all of these lists were going out to all different churches because that's where they were contained in letters. Now, the letters were shared from church to church, but there was no guarantee that what Paul says to one church is going to get around to every other church, right? Um, So you've got these, these lists, and in every single list, there is not one time that any of the gifts are designated as one gender or another. 
There are no limitations in each of the lists. He just says the gifts. That's right. So if it was so important that women shouldn't be teaching anywhere, don't you think Paul would have mentioned it in one of the other letters? Right. Here's the man gifts. Here's the women gifts. Right. Right. Exactly. That's a great point. Nursery workers, teaching the children, working (laughs) in the kitchen. Those are the women's gifts. Yes. (laughs) One of the professors we had when my husband and I were in seminary said something about that because he said, you know, we in, in certain Baptist churches that we were we were in growing up, women could teach Sunday school to up to 12 years old for guys. And then he said, how do we get that from the scripture? We don't get that from the scripture. Paul didn't say women cannot, you know, there's there's a I think sometimes in our humanness, we put limitations because that's what we're comfortable with. Yes. And I think that we live in this Twitter culture too. And uh, Donna was going to say about the, that's convicting that verse about women and listening or learning in, in that context of the rabbinical school. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I did it, but that's, that's convicting because I think so many times I know for me, I want to jump in and, and give my opinion. And that's the culture we live in. We always want to give our opinion. But probably most of the time, we don't know enough to give an opinion. We may have read an article or we may have heard someone on, you know, talk radio or whatever. But I think Jesus, when when Paul talks about the gifts, he says the greatest of these is love. And if you have not love, you're like a clanging symbol. Yes. So how are we using our gifts? How are men using their gifts? How are women using our gifts? And if it's not expressed in love, then it's wrong no matter who the gender is no matter if it's a man or a woman because we can't take our gifts and use them to beat other people down that's exactly opposite of what paul and jesus taught yes powerful stuff you guys and um as we talk about this and stuff it just does kind of remind me of the struggle that i've gone through in church because we have apologized for our gifts as women Mm. we have stood in the shadows. We have worried that we would look strong. And so we shrink back and we, we take on a false humility. And, you know, I one time did a seminar on this subject in my, with my colleagues, there were 17, 16 male pastors, one other female pastor. And I said, which one of you, which one of you, when you get ready to preach in the pulpit, has anyone ever said to you, make sure you don't lose your masculinity? And they kind of looked around and I said, and then of the females in here, which, how many times have you been told that, you know, and, and which one of you have said, we know you didn't really want to answer the call of God, but he didn't have anybody else. So he chose you, nobody. How many of you women have heard that? You know, so it just brings up those things again. And yet, as you were talking, Julie, that that God doesn't designate or Paul doesn't designate when talking about the gifts, male gifts, female gifts. Instead, we see even Peter on the day of Pentecost repeating the promise of Joel saying in the last days, I'm going to pour out my spirit on all mankind. Your sons and your daughters are going to prophesy. Your old men are going to dream dreams. Your young men are going to see visions. And even on your male and female servants, I will pour out my spirit. 
And mm-hmm. so we know that God's Holy Spirit has been poured out on us all. Amen. Amen. And I also love uh, Peter when he's at, in the house of um, Cornelius and he mm-hmm. sees the Holy Spirit poured out on all of them. And, you know, they, they it, it was a New Testament church, male and female, and he's looking around and they're all uh, receiving the Holy spirit. He goes, now I know God does not show favoritism. So women be loosed, women be free women Mm -hmm. throw those head coverings off and (laughs) open up your, (laughs) and embrace the call of God on your life because you're not walking in disobedience. God wants to use your life. Amen. Amen. Yes, amen to that. Amen. And can't we all talk about the women that have that God has used in our own life? Yeah. So many women that God has used in our own lives and our own ministry to encourage us and to build us up. So let's pass that on to other women. Yes. Amen. So Ju, uh, Dina, excuse me. You wrote an article not too long ago, and you said here are a few ways that we can support women who have said yes to the ministry, but now they might be wounded. They might be hurting Mm -hmm. or weary or just plain worn out. And the first one you said, pray for women. Talk to us about pray for women. Yeah. I think that if you're not a woman in ministry, you don't really understand the wounds that you get. And Don, I'm so sorry for all the things that have been said and all those things you've had to go through since I haven't had a head pastor role I haven't had that big target on my back as much but pray for women that God brings to mind put them on your prayer list if they're in any kind of ministry I don't care it's been hard the last couple years to be a pastor especially in the pandemic whatever you decided and made happen or things you said things you didn't say everybody there's half of the people you made mad for whatever you did so I think just (laughs) please pray for women in ministry that you know And then um, make sure that they know that you're praying for them. Yeah, see them. Just acknowledge that you see that they're following God's call. And that's such a huge encouragement. Like a lot of times writers and speakers, we we get involved in these groups online and different things because we don't have anyone around us that understands what we do. And I think women in ministry are the same, you know, we want to support people in our congregation, in our circles of influence, Mm -hmm. the women that have that call, and then also tell them we want to support them. How can I pray for you? How can I encourage you? Bring them a gift one day, just, just because give them a DoorDash gift card so they don't have to cook one night. Things like that speak so loudly. Mm -hmm. And uh I love that. And your article is really profound because you talked about men using their, their influence to, and leverage to uh, equip women and teach about women in the Bible and teach it from the pulpit. Yeah. Teach it from the pulpit. And uh, Julie, as we kind of wrap up and bring this to a close, it's not just men that need to support. I don't know if you've ever experienced kind of friendly fire, if you will, but there's a lot of women who don't support other women. Mm-hmm. And it, there's a Martha spirit almost at times, like looking at us who have chosen to answer a call that we've received and they look at us like we're frivolous too. I've experienced that as well. Have you? Um, not so much, um, okay. a little bit here and there, but my church is extremely supportive of there's uh, four teaching team members, pulpit members, and um, two of us are women. And um, the first time I actually 
was speaking. The elders had come to me. Our pastor was leaving um, to go to a different church and we were, he was leaving with our blessing, but we were going to be left without somebody at, 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 on the pulpit. So they said, well, let's get the people in our church that have the gift of teaching. So they approached me and I had just graduated and have my shiny new degree. And I thought, I'm not sure I'm, I'm supposed to be teaching in front of men. I, I've been raised very conservatively. I took those things to heart, but, um, but I thought I better look at this. But, but before I even had a chance to do it, um, we were doing, I was speaking and we were doing a sound check and one of the elders walked by and I said, you better step away. You might get hit by my lightning, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, so, but, but no, overall, I've gotten very, a lot of support and um, um, I, I don't, I, I'm sh- I'm sure that people that I grew up with and uh, you know that that taught me to do the right thing and, and be a woman and stay in my place. I'm sure they would have problems with it. I'm hoping my dad won't turn over in his grave when the book comes out. <laughs> well, we trust that he won't. <laughs> uh, well, he's in heaven now. He knows. Now so. he knows. He already knows. He, he probably. Knows the truth. He right. would endorse your book. He would. That's be right. Your I believe he would. Yeah. He would say, "My look at my daughter go, Hallelujah." <laughs> so, thank you for writing the book. Thank you for writing the article. Thank you for carrying the torch and for being a voice and being willing. And um, as we wrap this one up, once again, we want to remind people to be paying attention for our mini summit that's coming up. By the time this airs, we might even have a date secured and we'll put that right there in the notes of this podcast. Final comments, Dina. I just think that, you know, I was reading this week about God holding the broken. And I think that so many women are broken right now, just in our culture for different reasons, even Christian women, we've, we've had a rough couple of years. So God wants to heal and redeem and restore. Just go to him and his word and allow him to hold you in your wounds and your weariness. He, he can reveal so much more than you ever dreamed. Thanks for doing this, Dawn. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Julie, last comments. Well, you know, as hard as it can be and as many roadblocks as we encounter, um, I would call that suffering in the name of Christ. And I believe that every bit of our suffering God uses in our lives for for our own enrichment and for our ability to be able to come alongside others who are suffering with the same things. And so don't be discouraged when you hit those things. Just assume that God has some really good motives to allow you to go through these things and that he is going to turn those ashes uh, into something beautiful. And so we can trust him even when it's hard. So hang in there, keep going. (laughs) That's right. Keep going. Yep. In summary, over the last three weeks, we've talked about women in ministry. We've talked about our own experience. We've talked about the love that Jesus has for women We've talked about the hierarchy and the Garden of Eden and Genesis, the account of God creating women. And so just as a way to bring it all together, we're saying that God did not establish a hierarchy of men and women, that there are no limitations for you as a woman in ministry. There are no limitations of your spiritual gift that you are allowed to teach and you are allowed to lead men, women. You are allowed to use the gifts that God has given you to the full extent, that there is no precedence in the scripture that says men have to be the leaders of everything. 
And Paul didn't say that women need to be quiet and silent in the church. He didn't say that he prohibited women from teaching. And we didn't get into marriage, but that God didn't say husbands are to be the head of the wife and that they are to dominate. And, and their word is, that's it. So if any of these things rattle you just a little bit, woman of God, men of God, then we invite you to search the scripture. We invite you to read. We invite you to do the study. And please hear our heart. We are not women who have a chip on our shoulder. We are women, some of us here, I can't speak of everyone who like Mary, like the woman at the well. Yeah, we have a checkered past. We've gone from checkered past to checkered flag. We win because of the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. And we are ready and prepared to live as a redeemed vessel to the full capability of the gifts that God has given us. So with that, we close this series, but we'll be back with more. Until then, I have a question for you. Modern day Esther, is this your moment to arise? I hope you've enjoyed the podcast today. And hey, if you've not done so yet, why don't you subscribe on Apple Podcasts so you never miss another episode. Or you can visit us at AriseEster.com. And while you're there, make sure you join the movement. Visit us today to get connected. For more information about me, Dawn Damon, visit DawnDamon.com. And while you're there, you can sign up for a free breakthrough strategy session. Until we meet again, keep rising. This is your moment.